When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. If you've been dreaming of a stitch fix for books, then now it is here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treat your shelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treat your shelf. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 151, and we are recording on October 2nd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Every time I talk about TBR, I want to do the whole, like, treat yourself um, <laughs> sketch bit from Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. It's, it's like a real struggle to say, first of all, to say treat yourself, and then second of all, not to, like, do it in full Retta voice. So. <laughs> <laughs> or what is that? There's an episode where they do treat yourself, and oh, what's his name? Adam. Yes. The actor's name. Oh, my gosh. Ben. Uh, I, ben. Thank you. I was like, how ben could I not remember Leslie's husband? And Ben goes out and buys that like yes. full Batman costume. Yes, the Batman <laughs> costume. I am. I am gonna treat myself. It's so good. It's so good. Comedy gold, y'all. It <laughs> is. Amanda, I'm I'm so excited to ask you what you're reading. <laughs> so in the agenda I put nothing, comma, fight me. Because <laughs> that's I'm just not reading anything. It's not, I by some weird like fate twist of fate I finished all of the books I was reading like at once oh. and then I got on like a podcast kick and just haven't felt dr- like drawn to anything so I'm probably gonna pick up the Raven Master next which I think came out today actually it is a memoir of the um I don't remember his official title but it's a memoir of the the like member of the guards at the Tower of London whose job it is to guard the ravens that live there and have always lived there um so that sounds pretty interesting I'll probably pick that up but maybe I won't maybe I'm just not a reader anymore I don't know what about you that'll be the day yeah we all we all take breaks sometimes we all yeah, take yeah. breaks um I started following that Raven Master Instagram account because you mentioned it it's so good somewhere <laughs> sometime it was very exciting um I'm still reading The Tangled Tree by David Quammen which I think I mentioned last time is making me feel very smart it's all about advances in the understanding of um evolution and and like how there's whole, you know, sort of families of creatures that were discovered in the 70s that we didn't even know existed and are part of the evolutionary chain. It's really interesting. I'm also reading like a billion books for podcasts, but that's I can't talk <laughs> about those because one, some of them are secret and some of them I'm going to talk about on another podcast. So <laughs> here we are. I'm, I'm deadly afraid that because the tangle tree is long, like. And it's non—it's science nonfiction, so I'm not reading it fast the way I normally would. And I got it from the library, and I'm terrified that I'm going to not be able to finish it and then not be able to renew it. And then I'll forget everything before I get it back again. So that's my story about that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about how this show works. This is a show for personalized reading recommendations, like we said at the top, which means you send us questions about what you should read next, what you should get for a family member, for a holiday or birthday, what your book club should pick up, whatever. Uh, we will do our best to find you a good book. You can send those to getbooked at bookriot.com. You can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive request and you're hoping to get a response back by a specific date, please say so either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, like all caps, put it right in there. We will do our best. If we're not going to get to it on air uh, or if you've asked a question that we 
we've answered a few times recently. We might email you a response, so keep an eye out for that. We do have a little feedback from the last episode. Um, on the site, commenter Kate H. said that I wanted to recommend a couple of older books to Aldo, who had asked for creepy short stories, since I used to be way into creepy short stories. Uh, other stories and Attack of the Giant Baby by Kit Reed, a deep dive into the uncanny uncanny valley realm uh the best of robert block that's b-l-o-c-h and also check in to richard matheson who wrote many of the twilight zone stories along with a lot of other creepy stuff you will recognize all right so i'm gonna read our first question and then amanda's gonna do our first sponsor and away we will go the first question is from genevieve who says i've been trying of late to read more feminist literature and novels from female perspectives it's been pretty easy to find literary fiction to read but i'm interested in reading some science fiction and fantasy novels with a feminist slant i haven't had much luck finding them unless they are ya novels uh, i've read a few but to be completely honest ya just doesn't do it for me any recommendations Okay. Um, well, first of all, our first sponsor has the best title of ever. Ever. And, ever. and that is A Nice Day for a Cowboy Wedding by Nicole Helm. Is it? I mean, what day would be a bad day for a cowboy wedding? I don't think. A good there, point. That's not a thing that exists. Okay. So Nicole Helm is a best-selling romance author. This is the fourth installment in her also great title, Mile High Romance series, which is not <laughs> what you think. It's not what you think. It takes place in Colorado in the Rockies. Ergo. Mile High Romance series. A little disappointed at that, but that's fine. That's fine. It could be both. I'm just saying, Nicole, if you hear this show, it could be both. Um, So uh, this is, yeah, the fourth installment in the Mile High Romance series that take place in Gracely, Colorado, which is a tiny little town. So if you are into like small town community romance, this is the perfect series for you. Um, So she is really well known for writing hunky cowboy heroes with heart. And this one uh, incorporates her you know, beloved cowboy characters in the world of Gracely, which she crafted over the last three books. If you are a fan of Jill Shalvis, then this is definitely a series for you. Um, Nicole does not shy away from tackling like complex issues in her books with, you know, tact and compassion. Um, She's also going to be contributing to the Lisa Jackson novella, um, a contributing a novella to the Lisa Jackson uh, Christmas anthology called Santa's on his way. If that's a a thing that you're interested in, Uh, people love romance, um, romance in the, during the holidays. So go check that out. But uh, yeah, A Nice Day for a Cowboy Wedding by Nicole Helm, fourth book in a series. But as we've said several times on the show, it should be the subtitle of the show, You Can Read Romances Out of Order. That's so right. go pick that up, and thank you for sponsoring us. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, so feminist, sci-fi, not YA. I pick the book of the unnamed midwife by Meg Ellison, um, which is a recent release in this, like, viruses have ended the world kind of thing that's happening in dystopian fiction right now. Um, I feel like every new dystopia, or not dystopia, post-apocalyptic novel is is about some kind of illness, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just weirdly picking them all up in, a, in an odd order. Um, so the main character is an unnamed midwife who, at the opening of the book, uh, works in a hospital on the West Coast, and then a fever starts, you know, sweeping over the earth, except it kills... It kills everyone, but the fever mostly targets women and girls. So for every, you know, uh, 10 men that survive, one woman survives. And it also brings the infant mortality rate up to 100%. So no children are being born. Um, The world population has been decimated, except it's mostly dudes left. And so this midwife wakes up having survived the illness somehow. And when she wakes up in the hospital, she's alone. Everyone around her is dead. And she has to figure out how to survive. So she uh, dresses like a man, fills her suitcase with medication from the hospital, and then goes out and you just follow her basically as she tries to, uh, you know, survive various encounters. Um, The interesting thing that I like about this book and the thing that I said that like sets it apart to me in this kind of subgenre of post-apocalyptic virus novels is that it is really heavily about what would happen to reproductive issues in this scenario. Um, So she, as a midwife, she packs her bag both with, you know, antibiotics and painkillers, but also with birth control IUDs and all this kind of stuff and, um, you know, depot shots. And she travels the country essentially administering birth control to women um, with the knowledge that their children, once they're born, are going to die. So she's trying to help, you know, save women from that kind of emotional and physical scarring. Um, But there's also the more conventional kind of 
post-apocalyptic virus stuff going on, like what's going to happen? You know, are people going to survive and what caused this virus and how to cure it and all this kind of stuff. Um, but that like really feminist focus on, um, the, the reproductive issue, I think, really makes this book a standout. And the main character, who doesn't have a name, so I can't give you one, um, is queer on the page. So that's awesome. So that is The Book of the Unnamed Midwife by Meg Ellison. Very nice. Yes, yeah, so many. It is definitely a subgenre yeah. of SFF. And has been for a while, but we're really seeing a lot of them. But I wish, wash my hands. I, as we have said before, I wish that we would see more of them deal with queer characters and or like non cis characters so if you're listening and you're a writer please keep that in mind it's like my soapbox for the year perhaps the next five years I don't know we'll see it's a fair one yeah (laughs) um I have so many recommendations for you Genevieve (laughs) I'm gonna drop a link into the show notes um I do the swords and spaceships newsletter and if I am reviewing it it is basically gonna be feminist and I've reviewed a lot of books um in the newsletter that I think you might be interested in so there's a goodreads shelf where I've been logging them. You can go check those out. Um, My current pick for you is Daughters of the Storm, which is the first in a series called Blood and Gold by Kim Wilkins. This book is great because it is one of those sort of you know, classically medieval European Norse-inspired fantasies, but it is so feminist, and it is so beautifully focused on these really complicated sister relationships, which is not a thing you ever get in like Norse inspired (laughs) medieval fantasy. Like that's not a thing you see very often. And this is a real delight. Um, It's about five young women who are all daughters of an aging King and they're all really different. They range in age. The youngest ones are teenagers. Um, The oldest one is like a warrior and, you know, in charge of all the armies and is always out like bashing in heads and um and their father as i said is aging and he comes down with like a fever and is incapacitated and his wife who is not she's the stepmother um not their biological mother uh panics because she's like uh his daughters all kind of hate me like i have no friends at court here um all she has is her son um their stepbrother and so she she keeps the the illness a secret and sends for her son but bluebell who's the warrior finds out um and so she gets all of her sisters together and they go back to uh the castle and um Bluebell is convinced that somebody has cursed her father, that this is not a natural illness, that somebody has like worked a curse on him. And she is determined to figure out what is happening and to sort of protect the realm. Um, And in the process, you see all of these sisters who all have very different motivations and goals. And like some of them just don't know each other that well because, you know, they've been sort of scattered to different areas of the kingdoms and surrounding kingdoms. One of them has been married off and is now a mother um, who's having an affair. Um, And it's just, it's just so good. There's like, there's action and there are battles and there's, you know, this magic subplot. Um, But there's also just this really deep examination of how tangled and like almost like jagged and raw sisterhood can be. And what's interesting about this book too, is that it's really working um, to examine toxic masculinity in the character of the stepbrother. Um, You see him sort of put in this position by his mother's machinations and also by sort of the strictures of the society that they live in. And he's navigating his own path and like he's not a good guy but he's also not a cardboard cutout of like a you know like a classically like oh this dude is just the worst like he's he's got it's it, like you really can see toxic masculinity at work in his actions and his plot line and so I just I haven't seen anybody do this before and I'm like very here for it uh it's just really good and it is like it's a banging good plot um so again that's daughters of the storm by kim wilkins it is the first in a series it has a nice solid ending and i definitely want to know what's going to happen next but i'm not like freaking out about a cliffhanger so if that gives you some peace of mind going into it hopefully but yeah real good real good 
All right, question two is from April who says, I'm hoping you can find me a good book for my father to read on his de uh, well-deserved vacation in December. He said he really wants to relax and wants something lighthearted. I've realized that when I want a nice lighthearted read, I normally reach for YA, which I have a hard time picturing him reading. I was already thinking of Becky Chambers and Lincoln and the Bardo. I realized the latter isn't necessarily hard lighthearted, but it seems up his alley. Some books I know he's enjoyed in the past include Cutting for Stone, uh, various books by Ken Follett, and A Walk in the Woods. Something humorous would probably be good. Okay, um, I picked Shark Drunk by Morton A. Struxness, uh, which is funny and very Bill Bryson-y. So if he liked A Walk in the Woods, I think that he would really enjoy this. Um, Struxness is a journalist who travels to uh, a series of islands in Norway, and along with one of his friends, an artist named Hugo, decides to go fishing for a Greenland shark. Um, the Greenland shark is usually uh, like over 25 feet long. They weigh more than a ton. They live like 200 years. Um, but it's not just known for being super big. It also, when you eat it, the meat has like, it's toxic in such a way that it makes you hallucinatory and act as if you are intoxicated, like drunk. Um, and so he goes out on a little rubber dinghy with his friend Hugo to try to catch one from a dinghy. <laughs> and like in this dinghy, they, the two guys start, ha they have this like old man in the sea kind of moment where they start discussing, you know, life, the universe and everything and all these existential questions of two middle-aged drunk guys in a boat would ask themselves. Um, <laughs> and that is intertwined. So that's hilarious. And like their antics of, you know, what kind of bait do we use? Well, my neighbor has some cows and I'm pretty sure one just died. So maybe we could drag that to the dinghy. And then they do it. Like it's just, <laughs> so that's hilarious. The antics are interwoven with really interesting, like ecological facts about the ocean, history, the history of the Greenland shark, um, science about the Greenland shark, about which I knew nothing. I mean, I love sharks. So I didn't know anything about this one. Probably because it doesn't look very deadly, but it's so cool. Like it lives at these really frigid depths and they're almost entirely blind because of the parasites that live down at those depths that immediately like latch onto their eyes. So if you ever Google a Greenland shark, you'll always see them with these like fans coming off their eyes. They're just parasites. Super gross. So it's this nice combination of interesting like nature facts that you get in the same way that Bill Bryson is doing that kind of history about the Appalachian Trail in A Walk in the Woods uh, combined with like drunk old man thinking drunk old man funny thoughts which I just love so that's Shark Drunk by Morton A. Struxness A plus Appalachia pronunciation in there I thank heard you, that thank I heard I've been that. practicing I see you <laughs> um, I don't know if your dad is a Monty Python fan or not and I thought about this really hard. I think either way, I'm still recommending So Anyway by John Cleese. Um, John Cleese, as you might know, was a member of the Monty Python comedy troupe um, and also star of many TV shows and movies. He is, I, I mean, I grew up on Monty Python, and so I have a real fondness for him, even though some of his views about comedy are outdated at this point. Um, but this book is very entertaining. It is such an easy read. It goes from like his like very early childhood um, and like going to like preparatory school and like, you know, his like dad and his mom and relationship with with that. And um, and then uh, and like they moved around a lot when he was little. So him always being like the new kid in class. And then he was a teacher um, for a while. And those are some of my favorite sections of the book was like him talking about like being like a know nothing 20 something teacher um and then you know it gets into the early years of his acting career and writing career and how he met Graham Chapman and you know then working in New York and London and worked with all these people um and yeah it's just really it's just really entertaining it's I mean he's so conversational he's got good stories it's well paced like it, it is really like it it's a dad book written by a member of Monty Python. Like I feel like it's a pretty safe bet. Um and yeah, it's it's just very entertaining. And it doesn't lean so heavily on the Monty Python parts, which is why I think it could work for somebody who maybe like if he hates Monty Python, then obviously this is not for him. But he's just like, oh, whatever. Um, I think that like I said, like his stories about growing up and his stories about being a teacher at this prep school and like, you know, all of that stuff are really entertaining, whether or not you care about, you know, the life of Brian. So that's <laughs> so that's so anyway by John Cleese. 
I don't think I've ever met somebody who actively dislikes Monty Python. That's like just never occurred to me. I feel like it's possible. I don't sure. know either, but I don't want to assume anything. So, you know. Um, all right, let's see. Question three is from Kate, who says, I've been realizing over the past year that my closest friendship is with a toxic person and I need to cut ties. We've been friends since college. We're in each other's weddings and have become moms together. So it's hard for me to walk away, even though I know it's what's best for my own growth and health. It's left me feeling very lonely. So I'm looking for books to fill the lonely void and help me heal as only books can do. I enjoy most character-driven fiction as long as there is one likable character to root for and memoirs that read like fiction, i.e. The Glass Castle. Uh, what you got, Amanda? I maybe went a little on the nose for this one. <laughs> um, I picked The Fever by Megan Abbott because Megan Abbott writes like noirish kind of mystery thrillers that are almost always about teenage girls and their toxic friendships. <laughs> so the fever is, um, it's about the Nash family. Uh, they, Tom is the dad. He's a father and is a teacher at the high school. I think their mother is dead or it just isn't in the picture. Um, and then Tom has two kids, Eli, who's like a really popular kid and a hockey player and all this kind of stuff. And Deanie, who is like the main character that we're following. Deanie is his sister. She's, like, a good kid. She's a good student. Doesn't really get into trouble. Um, and then one day when Dini is in class, her best friend has a seizure out of nowhere. Like, an unexplainable, she's not sick. She doesn't have a history of any kind of, you know, illnesses or anything. She hasn't hit her head recently. Like, she just seizure in the middle of class. Um, and then weird, uh, related, like, similar symptoms start to spread through the teenage girls in the community. They, you know, they have these seizures, uh, depression, they, um, what, what's the, oh, I can't think of the word, where you, like, exhaustion, where you can't, lethargy, that kind of thing. Um, and this, like, hysteria in the community starts to grow as people try to figure out where it's coming from. Um, like, there are theories that there's a local watering hole that, pe that every, like, you know, the kids go to, the kids, capital T, capital K, the, the kids go to <laughs> swim in uh, at night that's got an algae growth in it. And maybe that's what's causing this illness. Or maybe it was the HPV vaccinations that the school insisted that all the girls get that's get that's uh, causing this outbreak. Um, and, you know, all of this kind of, uh, maybe they're making it up. Of course, they just want attention, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so this, this, like, pitch... The pitch of the book grows and grows and grows. And as that's happening, you start to untangle these secrets in the town, both uh, between, like, various families, but also really between Deanie and her friends. Um, and this is a situation where, like, toxic friendships are maybe wrapped up in murder, possibly, or somebody <laughs> dying or, you know, being abused. Like, just bad, lots of violence. Um, I mean, it's not, like, a super graphic novel, but these are toxic friendships taken to an extreme. So I think if I were trying to, like reconsider a friendship and read something to give me some perspective on like maybe what I should do or to help me feel better like a book where a toxic friendship ends in a way that mine is never going to end would probably make me feel a little bit better um like well at least she's not a murderer so I can safely step away from this relationship um not that the friend in the book is a murderer I'm not spoiling it for you just saying so that's The Fever by Megan Abbott I also went on the nose in like <laughs> the opposite direction. I got really stuck on this because I feel like this is a very, this is very relatable, first of all, Kate. Like, I feel like we have all been here. Um, and I picked Heroin Complex by Sarah Kuhn. I think I've been saying it wrong. I think it's Sarah Kuhn. Um, it's, and it's, it is a really fun sort of, I mean, it's, it's got like demon cupcakes and superheroes <laughs> in San Francisco and it's silly, but it also, one of my favorite things about this book is that it is about a friendship that has become toxic and like, what are you, what, how do you break free of that? And this one has a happier ending for the friendship. Um, but I thought it might, you might enjoy reading something that is like a little bit hopeful about how like friendships can grow and change. Um, um, for your next friendship that will hopefully be not toxic. Um, so it's about a young woman named Evie Tanaka, who is the, the like, you know, since childhood best friend and now personal assistant to a superheroine named Aveda Jupiter, who is like, Aveda is a total diva. She's throwing tantrums. She's freaking out about a pimple. She's like freaking out about her social media presence. Like all of the things that you might imagine, like a, like a 20 something young woman being a superheroine in today's world plus demon incursions would be like. Um, and Evie is, Evie 
is super good at this job and she puts herself through all of this for reasons. Like she has her own reasons for staying in this very toxic friendship. Um, like they live together. She has no time or space for herself. This is the whole thing. Um, and then Aveda gets injured and she's like, okay, well to maintain my brand, you have to pretend to be me. And, like, go do these, like, PR things. But it'll be fine. Don't worry. Like, we won't have any demon incursions. Everything will be fine. Like, famous last words. Um, Clearly, that's not what happens. And as the plot goes along, you start to understand why Evie is doing these things and why she has stayed in this friendship and what it means to her and how, how, like, how stuck she is but why she got stuck um and starts to move forward a little bit so like it's like this really fluffy package with this really intense like raw beating heart which i loved um and it's the first in a series so if you like it there's more um so that's heroin complex by sarah kuhn okay question four um this is from anxious sister who says uh like with many people my family can be hard to shop for uh, can you help with my brother? Some of his favorite authors are Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, Matthew Woodring Stover, and Caitlin Kiernan. He's also a stickler for facts. He likes fantasy and horror elements, but if there are incorrect facts about real things, especially history and politics, he'll decide a book is rubbish, even if it's otherwise a good book. This means shopping for him can be anxiety-producing. Okay, I picked The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins, which as far as I know has no facts in it whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that anything is in there is like based in any kind of real current events or history at all. Um, I will say that uh, this book comes with a trigger warning for extreme violence of every um, imaginable kind. Like I started making a list and then I was like, you know what? No, but just all of it. So if violence of any variety bothers you, this is probably not for you. Um, So this is a... It's so hard to describe. It is both fantasy and horror, which if he likes Caitlin Kiernan, I think this book will be right up his alley. The main character's name is Carolyn. And when the book opens, she is like wandering around her neighborhood in a weird outfit covered in dirt and you don't really know why. And then you realize as she talks, um, because it's told like from her perspective, her chapters are, that there's something very weird about her. Like she talks the talk of being a normal person uh, about, you know, how much she likes to eat guacamole and like smoke cigarettes and all this stuff. But the more that she talks, little hints, you start to realize that she is, she's a little bit off, like something is very weird. Uh, And then you get into her story, she goes flashbacks and uh, along with the current stuff that's happening, uh, her parents have died and she and other kids from her neighborhood were taken in by a man they called Father. And Father is some kind of weird supernatural situation is happening with this guy. He's got this never-ending library that's full of like secrets of the universe and he teaches each of the children one section of the library. Um, And Carolyn's is languages. So she grows up learning how to speak and interpret all of these different kinds of languages. Uh, One of the kids learns the secrets of war. One of them learns like the secrets of animals. Um, And as the book has opened, something has happened. Father is missing. He might be dead. We don't know. But the library, the house that they grew up in, and the library that contains, you know, probably the secrets of all of creation um, are, are starting to come under, under attack. So Carolyn has to figure out what's happened to father, find the rest of her siblings, um, and then, like, kind of try to save the universe or maybe destroy it. She, like, hasn't really decided because, uh, <laughs> you know, her childhood was super traumatic. Um the scenes that are particularly disturbing are the flashbacks to her childhood with her siblings growing up with father. Uh just super, super violent, especially from the kid who learns the secrets of war. Um, but I don't know. If you like Caitlin Kiernan, like, I don't think that it's going to be too much for your brother. I think that he will really like this. But again, yeah, there's no there's no facts or history or anything. It's just this weird, twisted story of, like, a kid growing up maybe with God. Maybe. Don't know. You find out eventually. But when the book opens and you start realizing what's happening, you're like, oh, this is what it would be like to be, like, raised by like Cthulhu or something like that. Um, so it's very disturbing and weird and creepy, but I loved it. It's hard. It's hard. It's a hard book to love. It's like a problem child, but yeah, it's great. So that's the library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. I picked a book that also is minimal on real world things, although it is set in a sort of alternative Nigeria. It's Rosewater by Tade Thompson. This book is bananas. <laughs> it is really hard to describe in like a short, snappy version um but i am doing my best these days because i keep talking about it because it's really good um it is about if 
aliens sort of landed and made biodomes in various parts of the world, including in Nigeria. But, like, you couldn't get into it. But, like, things like spores and maybe, like, escaped creatures would come out. Um, What would that look like? And in this envisioning, um, the spores have an impact on humans and can do things like, you know, heal illness, but also warp or mutate humanity and including giving certain people some like psychic telekinetic etc powers so caro who is the narrator of the story it's like a close um perspective i can't remember if it's first or third because i almost never notice unless somebody points it out to me um he has these sort of psychic powers um and he's kind of a jerk and doesn't want to do anything that's not just like what he wants to do. But because of his powers, he has been recruited by this shadowy government operation um, and occasionally has to do things like interrogate prisoners or, you know, go on missions for them, even though he doesn't want to. Um, He has like a weird, wacky, like psychic job at a bank, protecting people who use ATMs from getting like psychically hacked by other people with powers. It's bananas. Like this book is bananas. Um, And the, the book is sort of about how he got to like how you got to the present day. There's flashbacks to previous missions that he's been on. And also it's a, it's a little bit of a mystery in that lots of people who have the powers are starting to die in mysterious ways. And he's pretty sure he's next. So he has to save his own skin, figure out who's been killing off people with powers and like how it relates to the biodome and what's going on and who can be trusted and all this stuff. Um, and it's just so weird. Like it's like Jeff Vandermeer, Lauren Bucus, you know, China Mieville weird. It's weird. Um, But I think that, you know, is the key here for your brother. It's like, it's not going to be about anything that is super real worldy. So perhaps that will get past his, you know, like yearning for exact factitude. Um, And he can just enjoy the story. It is the first in a series. And I am so curious what the heck is going to happen next. Um, It's really, really weird and good uh and we're doing a book club for it actually for the sff yeah podcast that episode will go live on halloween so keep an eye out for that so that's rosewater which is the first in the wormwood trilogy by Tade thompson Oh, it's still me. Okay, so it's time for our second sponsor, which is Kill the Queen by Jennifer Eastep. And it is about uh, the dark forces at work inside the Bologna royal court. When the crown princess assassinates her mother to take the throne by force, even the 17th in line for the throne, Lady Everly, is in danger. Forced into hiding to survive, she falls in with a gladiator troop. Though they use their talents to entertain, the gladiators are Highly trained warriors, um, and Evie, who is uncertain of her future, begins training with the troop. But as the bloodthirsty queen exerts her power, Evie's fate becomes clear. She must become a gladiator and kill the queen. So this is gladiator meets Game of Thrones. Um, she, our our uh, royal woman in hiding here, has to avenge her family and destroy her murderous cousin and save the kingdom. It is a fantasy world with magic, and then this, of course gladiator subplot uh, and Jennifer Eastep is the New York Times and US Today bestselling author of the Elemental Assassin series and this is the first book in a new trilogy um, so there is magic and murder and intrigue and adventure and a hint of romance if that sounds good to you definitely check it out again that's Kill the Queen by Jennifer Eastep thank you for sponsoring the show alright the next question is from Abby who says Please help. The love of my literary life is Sarah Addison Allen, and I've read everything she's written, including the free shorts on Amazon, multiple times, and I find myself needing more books that feel like getting a warm hug. There is something about the pacing and the combination of unique characters and circumstances, a grumpy apple tree, giants, wallpaper with mood swings. I also love that while there are some problems and conflicts, they are not so dark as to overshadow the entire novel, and while urgent in the moment, don't tr- detract from that warm hug feeling. Um, the light touches of magic and otherwise realistic fiction are the things that keep me wanting more. Please not Beatrice Williams or Alice Hoffman. Okay. What do you got, Amanda? 
All right, I picked The Talented Ribkins by Laddie Hubbard, um, which was blurred by Toni Morrison, and I will once again say I don't understand why everyone hasn't read this book. <laughs> anyway, um, this is like a, this is in Sarah, uh, uh, complete sentences are fun. Sarah Addison Allen is great at fabulism, which is like kind of, kind of magical realism-y kind of thing where the odd and the surreal work into everyday life. And that is exactly what's happening in this book. The main character's name is Johnny. He's 72 years old. And when the book opens, he has got exactly one week to come up with a large sum of money that he stole from his boss, who is a mobster, or they are going to kill him. So he starts traveling. He like gets in his old car and goes on a road trip around the southern U.S. Um, digging up holes of like bear where where he had buried money in his past at various points in his past money watches stuff he can sell things like that because when he was younger him and his brother um were thieves and they took the stuff the loot that they want or the loot that they stole and money that they got from their jobs and stashed it like all over florida so his brother is dead and he's going uh, to go get this money to kind of save his skin the twist here is that Johnny and his brother and a few other people in the Ribkins family, uh, most of the people, have really weird superpowers. Um, like he has a cousin who can breathe fire, but kind of only does it at parties. Um, his brother could scale walls. Uh, Johnny's superpower is that he can make maps of any space, whether he's seen it or not. Like he can create a perfect map. So you can see how scaling walls and creating a perfect map would lead to like a great crime family. Um, and so that takes place in the present day, but he talks, he flashes back to the past when him and his brother were younger and they developed something called the Justice Committee, which is uh, the Ripkins family using their superpowers and a couple of other um, people that they knew from growing up to fight in the civil rights movement. Um, but through a like Johnny's using his ability to make maps to try to figure out how to like fight crooked politicians and um, they do things like show up to places in the Jim Crow South and help black families who are stranded um, because they can't find places to sleep at night, you know, because like only white people were allowed in the hotels. They help them find different routes home so they don't get hurt and that kind of thing. Um, but they get really frustrated with the way things are going. So they turn to, you know, a life of crime. And as he's traveling, Johnny goes to his brother's house, his dead brother's house, to dig up a, a pile of money he had buried in the backyard. And he finds there his dead brother's girlfriend and his niece, who he did not realize existed. She's like 13. Um, and she has a power of her own. And she hops in the car with him. And then the rest of the book is like flashing back to, you know, their his time on the Justice Committee. And also um, this like road trip novel with these two mildly supernatural characters Ding it up, digging up money in gas stations. Like it's just hilarious and and very odd. It is about something serious. It's based on W. B. Du Bois' essay, "The Talented Tenth. Um, so it is obviously about the civil rights movement and race in the U.S., specifically in the South, uh, and the things that Black people have to do to be considered even like mildly as good as white people, both in the '60s and now. Uh, but it's also, you know, an old man and his niece who's like 13, and their hilarious interactions together, which are amazing. Um, so that. That's The Talented Ribkins by Laddie Hubbard. I picked Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger because I it was weird. I like got a big blank on this one, which it seems like this would be right in my wheelhouse, like fabulism that's like a warm hug. But I all I could think of was the fabulism that's like a creepy, <laughs> not a warm hug, like a creepy runaway. So, um, but this is a little more, my pick leans a little more into the fantasy side of things, but it is the real world with one tweak. And I think that will appeal to you. Um, so Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge is basically like, what if there were special, like, liquors, boozes that had, you know, if you made them exactly the right way, they were infused with magic and could give you powers. And the main character of the story, Bailey Chen, has just graduated college and she is like, adrift she's you know there the job market sucks she's living with her parents she doesn't really she's moved back home she doesn't really have any friends she's like you know basically sort of the only person she knows in town um is zane who is her older friend but they have a rocky relationship um and she's just trying to like figure out what life looks like post-college which is you know very real world um and the only job she can get is a bar back 
at Zane's bar. And, you know, she's like, well, I guess it's somewhere to start where I, while I apply for things and try to line up interviews. Um, and then she starts to see things that are weird. Um, and suddenly, like, there are monsters. And she's, like, making cocktails to fight the monsters <laughs> and gets sucked into this whole big, like, supernatural band of warrior mixologists. Um and takes place in Chicago. There's a lot of great like Chicago moments in it. Um, there are literal cocktail recipes interspersed throughout the book. So that's super fun. And like little commentary about the recipes and like what the right way to do things is. And like some snarky comments about like, well, somebody would have you do it this way, but that's ridiculous. Um, and it's just really fun. The characters are really great. They're so relatable. Like Bailey goes on an, a job interview at one point point that is just like like that sequence will forever be burned in my skull as just like oh it's just like nailed the awkwardness of like trying so hard to just get any job whether or not you're qualified you're just like oh I just need to get a job and I'm gonna go on this interview and like oh what am I gonna have to like say or do and how awkward is it gonna be like oh it just I feel it I feel it on a on a personal level um and yeah, and but there's also this great storyline and there is action, but the book definitely feels like it sees you um, and like knows what's up uh, and it's just really entertaining. So um, that again is Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. All right. Question six is from Rachel. I've been dealing with an undiagnosed chronic illness that has left me housebound for some time. Reading about other disabled people's experiences has been eye-opening and comforting in that I'm not alone, but many of the books I've read, like So Lucky, Invisible, and Sick, have been difficult to read because they've touched a lot of raw wounds. I'd really like to read something more lighthearted, but still featuring disability and chronic illness as a major plot point. I'm open to any genre, but own voices only, please. Okay, I took this to the contributors, and Susie D uh, Dumond, our contributor, recommended We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby, who is hilarious. She is the most hilarious. She's was a blog is a blogger? Was a blogger. I don't know if she's still blogging. Um, but she's written two collections of essays. The first one, or the one that I'm recommending, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, is the most recent. And she has Crohn's disease and does incorporate that into several of her essays, but not every single one. And so she's talking about the most random stuff. Like there's an essay about why she should be the new bachelorette. Um, she's like 35. <laughs> It's just so good. Uh, there's one that's a little more heartfelt, but is still cringy, hilarious about a pilgrimage that she took to Nashville to scatter her father's ashes. She didn't have like a relationship with her father. So that is super weird. Um, you know, navigating friendships when you're in different places in life, uh, all of that while dealing with her Crohn's disease, uh, which is woven, really like kind of woven into the fabric of the essay collection. So uh, it's, I don't know, it's lighthearted. I don't know that I would necessarily, like not every essay is about something funny, but she manages to make them all comedic, if that makes sense. So like serious comedy, serial comedy, that's a thing. Um, so that's We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby. She's amazing, mm -hmm. Samantha Irby. She's great. Um, I have a romance novel for you. It's called Friend with Benefits Zone by Laura Brown, who is herself um, deaf, hard of hearing. And she has written a novel with uh, two deaf, hard of hearing main characters. It's great. Um, it is like the, they're you know, deafness is part of the story and that obviously impacts you know, their lives and, you know, they, they, it, it like changes the way they interact with the world, but the storyline itself has nothing to do with that. Um, the main character is really struggling. Um, she's a cocktail waitress at a dive bar. Gosh, I have like a little mini theme here. It turns out <laughs> I did not realize. Um, but yeah, jazz is, you know, she's in her twenties. She's like, she's got a terrible apartment with an annoying roommate. She's behind on the rent. And she gets evicted and she's just like, oh, I cannot. And she's really independent. She's fiercely independent. The last thing she wants to do is ask anybody for help. But her best friend, Devin, is like, oh, my God, just just come stay with me until you find a new place to live. Like, just like, let me help you just in the, in like, come sleep on my couch or whatever. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, it's no big deal. Like, just, just don't like go do something stupid. Just come stay with me while you get your feet back under you. 
And so she does, but it's complicated because she has feelings about Devin that she's not sure that he returns and he is her best friend and she doesn't want to ruin the friendship. And of course, you know, because we're, it's a romance novel and we get both of their perspectives that he feels the same way. And so you're watching them sort of like pretend not to have feelings about each other while being in this forced proximity situation. And you're like, oh my gosh, like just talk to each other. (laughs) Just, but, but like, I get it. Like you don't, when you don't want to ruin a friendship, like it's really scary to be like, oh, if I like kiss him, every, like it's going to ruin everything. And then I won't even have this friend. And when your life is already hard, like the last thing you want to do is add more complexity to it. So it's very, it's great. Um, and the attention is really good and there's great supporting characters. And I just thought it was so much fun. And it's definitely like, a very also like great portrayal of just like what it's like to live in the world as a deaf or hard of hearing person. Um, so I think this one will, it's definitely like going to be fun with like that dose of like, you know, romance angst. Um, and if you, if this turns out to be like a wheelhouse you want to stay in for a while, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes for, um, there are, uh, a post went up recently on, on the website frolic, um, with heroines with disabilities. Um, it's six other romance recommendations. I'm not sure if they're all own voices, but they'd be worth checking out. So again, that's Friend with Benefits Zone by Laura Brown. All right, the last question is from Crystal, who says, I am an avid reader of many genres. I find it hard to find mystery novels that I enjoy. I have read all of the Maisie Dobbs series and am a true lover of Sherlock Holmes. I would like recommendations of mysteries with interesting characters that don't seem pulpish. I hope that makes sense. Time, place, location are not a consideration. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Death Below Stairs by Jennifer Ashley, which is the first book in the Cat Holloway mystery series. And this is an upstairs, downstairs uh, murder mystery. Murder mystery for Downton Abbey people is what I'm trying to say, except in Victorian England and not Edwardian. So Kat is a cook. She's young. She's like in her 30s, um, which is pretty young for like a head cook in a position in a Victorian household. But it's fine. She's very competent. She takes a position uh, with Lord Rankin's family. And she just like, you know gets immersed in their family life. The family is a little kooky um, in as much as like the the husband, Lord Rankin himself is like very traditional and um, his wife is very submissive and kind of silly. But his wife's sister is what they call in the book an eccentric who only wears man's clothes and refuses to get married and kind of does what she wants. Kat doesn't really care. Like her character is hilarious. She's super competent as a cook and brokes no nonsense. And so when all of this like drama and nonsense with the family is happening, Kat is like, I mean, just live your life. Just don't come in the kitchen with your dirty boots. I don't care. You know, (laughs) you look, now you've made, now you've made a mess, you know? Um, And so she's entirely unbothered by the shenanigans of these like rich people until um, her, her young assistant cook is murdered. Um, Her young assistant was Irish And so, you know, it's Victorian England, so doubts and aspersions are immediately cast on her and uh, everyone that she ever knew. Um, And Kat feels a little culpable because she she knew that the kitchen maid or that, you know, her kitchen assistant was um, very young and kind of naive. She also was the last person to see her alive. So she feels like maybe she could have prevented it. So she gets in like involved more than she probably should be in trying to figure out what happened to this like poor girl. Um, And while that's happening, the delivery man, the new delivery man um, in Lord Rankin's household turns out to be someone she knows whose background is in some kind of espionage crime. You don't really know. Uh, Like, and you don't really know how Kat knows him. You just know that she likes him. There's an attraction there, but she does not trust him. And he's certainly not a delivery man. Like, her experiences with him are as a gentleman. Um, so what he's doing there is a little weird. But she takes his help and together they start, uh, they try to solve the mystery of how this young girl was murdered. Um, the queen gets involved. There's like a threat uh, to Queen Victoria. Um, and so there's like trains. And the, I love the the food in this. And since Kat is a head cook, it's they're almost afterthoughts. Like she'll spend a page talking about the amazing meal that she's making and then like, you know, hike up her apron and go solve a murder. It's just great. It's um, easy to get through, super fun. All the characters are interesting and quirky. um, And the little dash of romance that doesn't take over the book, but is like a nice added bonus uh, is great. So that's Death Below Stairs by Jennifer Ashley. 
I picked Gods of Gotham by Lindsay Fay, who is also a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. I've seen her speak once or twice, and she definitely, like, this is her favorite thing, is Sherlock Holmes. Um, and so I think you'll see some of the influences of that in uh, Gods of Gotham. It is set in the mid-1800s in New York City, um, based on this actual historical formation of the first police force um, in New York. So it's like the Great Potato Famine hits Ireland, and New York City is making its first police force, and these two events sort of are combining to impact each other. Um, this book comes with a trigger warning for graphic harm to children um, because it is about a serial killer who is targeting children. Um, so if that is not your bag, you will want to skip this one. Um, but it's about a man named Tim Timothy Wilde, also a bartender, unintentional bartender theme, um, who is just like trying to save up enough money. You know, he's going to like, he's got a girl that he wants to, you know, save up enough so he can get them a house and a good life. Um, and then, like, a fire devastates downtown Manhattan, including the bar that he was working at. So now he's unemployed and homeless. Um, and his older brother is sort of a, like, political up-and-comer, um, very, like, louche, you know, sort of man about town. And he gets Timothy a job in this new police force. But it's, like, it's, like, very, like, oh, here's this, like, here, have a little job. Like, here you go. Um, and he gets assigned to the Five Points neighborhood of New York, which if you've seen Gangs of New York, you're a little bit familiar with. It's a very notorious slum. Um, and one night when he's doing his rounds, this tiny little girl who's like 10 maybe um, is like is running through the streets covered in blood um, and is clearly traumatized. So he like grabs her and takes her to an asylum and or is supposed to take her to an asylum, but instead brings her home. And um, she tells him that there are dozens of bodies buried north of 23rd Street. And so now he has to, like, solve this mystery and figure out what's going on and who's telling the truth. And, you know, it intersects with all of these other things that are going on, including his relationship with his brother. Um, so there is mystery. There's family relationships. There's history. There's New York City politics. Um, I think you'll dig it. Like, I think it's definitely in the vein of this Maisie Dobbs and obviously Sherlock Holmes sort of wheelhouse that you have. Um and it is the first in a series, um, all starring Timothy Wilde. There are, yeah, they're all three of them in the trilogy are out. So you can finish it, um, which is always exciting. So again, that's Gods of Gotham by Lindsay Fay. And that is our show. Thank you all so much for listening. If you get a chance to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other people to find this show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for making this episode possible. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, and that is Jen with two N's and Amanda. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>